What's up, everybody? It's Marcus. Uh, really excited about this episode with Mike today. Uh, we dig into some really interesting topics and how all marketers can really benefit from acting a little bit more like B2C brands. So lots of interesting stuff there. Also a lot happening on sharebird.com this week and over the next couple weeks. AMAs from folks like the VP of Industries at Salesforce, Jeff Otto, Dave Steer, the head of product marketing at Cloudflare is doing an AMA. Both of those should be great. There's also lots of product marketing openings on the job board over at sharebird.com. So check it out. Also next week, we're lucky enough to get April Dunford on the show. So get excited for that one. If you don't follow her on Twitter, or haven't picked up her book on positioning, I really, really recommend it. And also, if you like our intro and outro music, it's by my friend Enda Gallery, whose band The Lush just dropped their debut album on Spotify. The album is called Journey to Zero, so check it out. All right, that's it. Uh, here's The Lush. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Product Marketing Experts brought to you by Sharebird. I'm your host, Marcus Andrews, and today we are going to dive deep into B2C product marketing. Product marketing is generally associated with B2B, SaaS technology companies. That's the space that I work in. And I've got to be honest with you, sometimes I really get stuck inside that bubble, as do I'm sure a lot of you. As product marketers, we talk a lot about telling unique stories, differentiated stories, and then you look at the websites of B2B SaaS companies and they all look the same. Uh, one way I think to really break out of this bubble is to talk to B2C marketers. They're often, their marketing is often more creative and more human and more effective than B2B, you know, the playbooks that we're running in B2B. There's a lot of B2B SaaS marketers who are really effectively stealing bits and pieces from B2C already and applying it to B2B with a ton of success. You see it in social media, especially where B2C brands have been having fun and being way more human for years and having a lot of success with that. But for the most part, B2B brands are still very serious and professional. Uh, but when they start to lighten up and take some of those elements, people really, really love it. And it's not just social, it's brand, it's product launches, it's events, it's offers, it's really everything. So I wanted to get a B2C product marketing expert on the show to really help us learn about how they do it, what are the differences, how do they think about it. Uh, so today I'm super excited to have Mike Polner, the global head of product marketing at Uber Eats on the show. What's really interesting about Mike is that he's done both B2B and B2C. So he has this really unique perspective on how they're different, how they're the same, and what us B2B folks can learn uh, from people like Mike. So Mike's been at Uber Eats for around three and a half years. Before that, he was at the Y Combinator company Five Stars and also spent time at AOL and MapQuest. Mike, how's it going? Great. Thanks, Marcus, for having me on. It's, uh, I appreciate the, the flattery on B2C. So uh, <laughs> good. <laughs> Liking the love early. It's great. <laughs> you know, you really do see it. I think um, it's one of those things that people talk about a lot, but maybe don't end up using. But, uh, you know, when, when I think people do get a little more human and start doing that B2C thing, it just works. So, uh, yeah, you know. All right. So one thing, we've never met in person now, Mike, but so I'm just going off a headshot for here right now. But has anyone ever told you that you kind of look like Hans Gruber from Die Hard? <laughs> have you heard that before? Uh, you know, so I have gotten a lot of interesting doppelgangers, I will say. I think it's just like the beard and the, I don't know, glasses. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Um, I've gotten uh, uh, the... Maybe less flattering. I don't know. Hans Gruber's not a bad looking guy, but um, 
yeah. the, the Bud Bundy, I think I had a number <laughs> twice. So a little embarrassed to say that, but uh, I will say I have, uh, I just have one of those faces. So maybe it's a good thing. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, Hans Gruber is more, way more sophisticated than uh, Bud Bundy. Come on. Yeah. Bud Bundy. I know. I, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's stuck with me. So I'll go with Hans Gruber moving forward. I think that's a better, better use of a doppelganger. Thank I, you. I agree. You, yeah, no problem. Um, all right. So what is at Uber Eats, what does your product marketing team look like uh, today? Yeah. So I think one of the very first things that's, that's probably most important to think about is when you're building out a product marketing team, where are you mapping your people? So product marketing for us fundamentally puts uh, very close ties with a product org. And I, I think this is similar on B2C and B2B, but really for us, we we map to product managers and the audiences that those, those product managers lead. So um, the, the team is structured by audience group. So we have a head of consumer product marketing. We have a head of restaurant product marketing. Uh, we have a head of you know, new verticals product marketing, which will be things like grocery or, or the other crazy things we're gonna start to, to be delivering. And then underneath those buckets, we kind of break the team into uh, experience pods, which are a little bit more brand focused. And then we have growth pods, which are really thinking about the customer life cycle across acquisition, engagement, and retention. So um, that's essentially the way the, the team is structured. We have each audience lead, and then we have a number of people within those, uh, those specific pods. Super interesting. Is there some, I mean, the, um, the alignment to product is kind of typical. You hear that a lot, but with that alignment to the audiences, um, on the, like the customer audiences, is there any benefits that you've seen from that? Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's so interesting because we've, we've done so much work at Uber around org structure. And I actually think one of the more important points is when you're thinking of your structure, your structure actually has to support your strategy and not the other way around. So usually people are thinking, oh, what's the right org structure? And then you, you kind of build something in a vacuum. But if you're not actually saying what is the strategy that you're trying to accomplish and how is my structure going to be funneling that energy, you can really get yourself into some trouble, which we've you know, seen in different pods. So um, for us, you know, the, the focus is we think of each customer vertical as uh, a unique audience and our strategy is very much making the three-sided marketplace, which is super complicated, work. So that's why we, we have to have that structure because it has to support the strategy of making the marketplace actually efficient. Yeah, and it makes a lot of sense when you're building a team to, to look at it that way. I think there is that urge to, um, yeah, kind of design maybe around like the people or what's easiest to manage. But um, the strategy may be harder, but I think uh, long-term, that's much much better solution. Very interesting. Yeah. Um, all right, so what, we are recording this. It's, the, it's like around the end of May. Um, and, you know, just super curious to hear how the last few months have been for you guys at Uber Eats. Like, how has your work changed? And, um, you know, what, is, what does that look like? Yeah, I think the, <laughs> I think the line that, that we say a lot internally has been, cannot wait to get back in the office so we can actually start working a little bit less. <laughs> so, so I think the very first one was just, um, wow, it's been a lot of work. Um, it's been fascinating. And I think it's, you know, been a couple different stages almost of work. Um, the very first one for Eats was, it was honestly, you know, crisis recovery and like crisis response. Um, we went from a, a space where, you know, the organization was moving quickly and, and at Uber, things always go very fast, but 
as soon as this happened, Uber Eats moved from this place of, oh, you know, it's, uh, it's the Friday night treat or the Saturday night, um, you know, date night to actually being a service that really is, is keeping people, it's increased prominence in the, the role of people's lives. Mm-hmm. So the team just had to work super quickly to get a lot of things done very, very quickly, um, ship new products and features. And, and that was, I would say, the very first week. We shipped more things in a week than we had probably shipped in a couple of months. Yeah. Um, as it was an interesting dichotomy, though, because you also saw, uh, you know, our partners in the rides business go through a different life cycle, which was the rides business was slowing down as travel started to slow. And then the eats business was just rapidly accelerating. So you had a really interesting uh, organizational dynamic of how is product marketing moving resources and and where are we spending our time and our energy and budgets and and just seeing the the organization rally behind the role that eats has in people's lives has been pretty unique to see and, and see very very quickly so um, apart from you know hopefully working a little bit less at some point I think it's been been a, a, a really unique change in, in time to observe yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's such an interesting story. I mean, hopefully, um, you know, it's something that like, even in a, maybe in, you know, next year, you can come back and, and talk more about it. You know, I, I think the the way that different companies have had to adapt uh, is just yeah. super fascinating. And like, it's, and it's great. You guys are really providing much more of an essential service now than like you said, like, it's really important for me and my family right now. So um it's just very interesting to hear, but let's shift a little bit. So you've worked in both B2B and B2C. Do you, mm-hmm. how do you, do you think about them differently? Yeah, it's so interesting. When I was interviewing for the Uber Eats role, it was primarily on the consumer side. And I, I probably at that point actually had a little bit more B2B experience. And I, I don't know if I kind of talked myself into being able to do B2C really well, or um, uh, I was just maybe uh, overly optimistic that I think it would be a very simple transition. Um, Looking back on it, they are really different, but the frameworks are actually the same. So, you know, I would always say the the three big buckets of product marketing are research, position, launch. And that's just been a really simple way that I've I've described the work that we do. And if you kind of take that framework and you apply it either to a B2B audience or a B2C audience, it's actually fairly consistent. So, you know, the the learnings are you always starts with the customer. And that customer can be a CEO or a CMO or, or a decision maker of a small business or a purchase um, who's making the purchase. Or it can be, you know, you, Marcus, is like a consumer. And it, I, I think that that framework has to apply. Uh, if you start with the insights, the, the, a great strategy can just fall out of that, whether you're doing B2B or, or B2C. And I, I think that you know, there are certainly some things that are different, but I think as long as you start with that customer and you really understand them, they, they don't have to be, uh, you know, totally different. It's just one letter apart. B, C, it's, you know, it's just one. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I mean, people keep inventing new ones, you know, so it's at least it's simple as being. Yes. Being, I've heard B, I've heard. Um, so it's actually really interesting because now I think there's also a wave of these like B to B to C companies and, mm-hmm. and that's, you know, a Slack or Notion is a company I've actually spoken with, you know, and, and talked to a couple of marketers there before. Yeah. And if you talk to them, they really do want to take the best of the B2B and the B2C worlds because something like Zoom is actually another interesting one. Mm-hmm. You know, you have the almost like the consumerization of these traditionally stodgy video conferencing, like the Citrix WebEx of the world. And you have to think about 
a way to make this product feel engaging, not just to a, you know, a, a traditional business office, but as people are thinking of how consumers and, and your work life is, is merging almost, it's maybe a little bit less, oh, that's B2B, oh, that's B2C. And actually, you know, what are the unique aspects of each of them that can come into the way you're building software and marketing it? Yeah, there, there's a lot there too. Like all, all of those companies you mentioned are product-led growth companies yeah. um, and they all have these really wonderful, easy to use consumer grade interfaces. Mm-hmm. And I think those are two major trends in product, which is product-led growth and the consumerization of software. Yeah. And you're totally right. Like if you keep, like the product is changing, right? The product is becoming like more for the end user. It's not this big sale where you go in and you, you know, pitch the executive team. It's like you're getting end users on it. And then there's this bottom up adoption. And also these, you know, like at HubSpot, our product is starting to look a lot more like uh, what Instagram might look like, or, you know, it's like this consumerization of software is really taking over too, because people want things that they can use. And if, I think if your marketing doesn't also match that, like hopefully your marketing could be out even out in front of the product, you know? Um, But a lot of the times it, it, the marketing is behind kind of those trends, but yeah, I think it's all, it's all related not to get on off on too much of a tangent here. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's actually interesting. Last point maybe is I wonder how much of this has been the fact that people have freemium models too, because you know, when you're talking about like the stodgy sales, the long sales cycles, I think it's because anybody can download Slack and anybody can use zoom which is a very consumer oriented approach of just like you make your product free, you get a lot of people to use it. And then you kind of go, I don't know, like, let's figure this out. How how do we make money now? (laughs) So that's, that's where I think the the business has been maybe changing, but super interesting. Yeah. And like, you know, there was um, at one point at HubSpot, there was a, like a hip chat versus Slack kind of war, you know, where we had hip chat and then we moved to Slack uh, and it was just because Slack was so much easier and so much more fun to use, not because the products like did anything different, which is like, yeah. you know, a big change is just people wanted to use Slack. Okay. So I love this RPL research position launch framework that you just, um, gave us. One thing I think with product marketing is that like people don't know how to describe it in a way that's easy to digest. And I think that's a really easy way to digest the work that we do. It's very true for the work that I do. I think that's actually really, really helpful um, probably for everybody to describe the work of product marketers, which sometimes is confusing to a lot of people. But if the frameworks are the same between B2B and B2C, why do you think that so many B2B marketers fall into this trap of being like, you know, too professional, too corporate, probably a little dry? Any thoughts on how that happens? Yeah, it's a great question. I think, I actually think it's because the frameworks are the same that people do that. So if you're thinking of the traditional, you know, the, the starting with the user and the use case, you're thinking of, you know, meeting the customer where they are. And for a CIO or a CTO, you're thinking of them in a professional context. So you're mm-hmm. thinking of, you know, the chief security officer who's sitting at the desk with the cubicle and that's the persona. So I think that the, the natural starting with that insight translates into language that is talking about cybersecurity in a professional setting. I think, you know, you mentioned earlier Slack being fun. And I think that that is the transition that a consumer marketer thinks about because you're not thinking about Marcus in the office. I'm thinking about you, um, uh, you know, uh, going to the park 
and how Uber Eats is going to be meeting you in the park. So our language is naturally going to be more oriented towards that social occasion as opposed to the occasion of, oh, you're working the nine to five or the eight to six, and we have to be meeting with you where you are. So I think fundamentally that's been changing because as work is becoming more spread and you're able to do it anywhere and Slack you can use on a Saturday afternoon with friends, I, I, I think you're going to see more and more of this language, I, I hope, translate from, you know, stodgy or whatever professional to actually thinking about how work and life can be fun and engaging. And, and that'll be a little bit of the best of, of both B2B and B2C. Yeah, no, I totally, I totally agree. Um, you know, and it's, it's a lot of the time it's this change in people and how you, how it's almost how fast you can react to it. You know, like the, the products that you're building and, and the marketing messages that you're sharing really do need to maybe not in all industries. I'm sure, I'm sure there are still B2B companies who are selling to that CIO where it's like, they need yeah. to keep that professional demeanor. But I think like if your customers have changed and your product is changing, like the quicker your market, because I think it's hard for marketers to just shake off that rust too sometimes where it's like, this is how I write a white paper, you know, yeah. and you can't have fun with it. It has to be this very professional tone and you kind of get stuck in that rut. But I really do think the, especially in the product marketers that can evolve towards those trends faster, mm -hmm. will have a real leg up um, and can learn from B2C. Totally. Yeah. I think um, uh, I have a hypothesis, which is like, oh, all marketing converges in single in the same messages. And, it, you know, I think you even mentioned <laughs> at the beginning how B2B marketers, you know, the, the home pages of every app or website kind of look the same. I actually feel like it's kind of similar in B2C too. So when that happens, it's actually who is willing to take that risk and yep. who is willing to push that boundary just a little, because if you are the first person to bring fun into a chat app, that actually can be a really engaging experience. So, you know, I think that, that some of the consumer, the B2C side of product marketing is, you know, maybe a little bit of a risk tolerance mm. um, to push that boundary and to try something new. And I actually think that, you know, at least at Uber and, and Eats, we've, I think we've been pretty comfortable trying some things and maybe it works or maybe it doesn't, but I think yeah. that's an important quality. Yeah, I agree. I think like you, um, I mean, the, so, so much of the challenge right now in, in all marketing is that, you know, the categories are so crowded. And so just mm -hmm. like standing out and saying something unique and different is, can, can really, you know, help you kind of cut through the noise and, and grow faster than everybody else. But you it can't just be, um, you know, it can't just be something that is like crazy, right. Or like too risky, or you don't want to go way over the edge. It still has to be, uh, interesting and, and, and unique in a way that's like right for your audience. So it's definitely a balance, but yeah, I think that risk, you're not going to, I mean, it's like with everything, you're not going to, you're not going to see a lot of reward unless you take some risks. So. Yeah, sure. Um, what is, can you, I'm curious about B2B, you know, in that transition you made from, so you're in, or sorry, from B2B into B2C. Uh, was there one thing about, was there one thing about B2C marketing that you had to learn the hard way um, when you were moving into it? Yeah. So I'll say, I'll say quickly what I think I actually came from B2B with that made me more successful in B2C quickly. Um, I think generally B2B marketers have a really deep understanding of the funnel in a way that B2C maybe doesn't. Um, so I think that I, I walked into the org being like, 
great. Tell me every step of the funnel. And people were like, <laughs> oh, uh, what funnel? You, know, you mean like download to, to order? It was, it was super different. Um, because I think in B2B, you're thinking of like, you know, uh, you know, uh, a lead to a marketing qualified lead to a prospect. So, so you're thinking of the funnel constantly and that's super different. I think on the B2C side, the, the, the real thing that I, I think was a struggle was actually how creative you could be. Um, because in the B2B world, you are thinking of a funnel and you're thinking of a very rational decision-making approach generally, I should say. And mm -hmm. cons consumers are extremely irrational. Um, love us though I do. Um, <laughs> we, are, we are quite irrational. And the types of things that would just be totally nonsensical to even think about in a B2B org, like a stunt, I should say. Um, mm -hmm. Like Uber puppies is just this massive, was this massive hit. And I was a consumer and I like loved that. And I can't even imagine what kind of reaction you would have gotten if you tried to propose anything like that in like an ad tech company, you know, um, uh, or a cybersecurity business. Um, but, but in the consumer world, people sometimes are, are willing to say like those just creative approaches that just feel really unique. And I think I had to kind of talk myself into um, the art as well as the science on the on the B2C side. And, and that was a little bit different for me. Yeah, totally. No, that, that makes sense. I Before I got into technology, I worked at a, uh, a marketing agency for CPG brands. And we were constantly thinking, like, you know, we would have some very fun brainstorms around like what crazy event or stunt or whatever we could pull. Um, and that, that kind of brainstorming doesn't happen at B2B tech companies where it is more about like, you know, the funnel and maybe about the data. And we like, don't think quite like, uh, uh, B2C, you know, or like, like a yeah. CPG company would. And well, I mean, what's interesting about those is that like, you know, support with B2C and, um, it's, there's so like atten having attention and being constantly like, you know, on the radar of your customer is really important because you don't know when they're going to buy. Right. You don't know they're rational. So, um, but I do think B2B can learn from that because like, you know, standing out and being different, uh, however you do it, uh, as long as you do it the right way, it can be very valuable. So it's, it's interesting. Is there anything else like that when you think of what B2B can learn from B2C that you uh, think about, like maybe tactics or just strategies or anything that B2B can really learn from B2C? I think this, so um, I worked for uh, the former head of, the former CMO of Nike Running, who now runs Lululemon, CBO at Lululemon, Nikki Newberger, and she was just the most amazing brand marketer. And I think she, the, the two things that I would really also emphasize on the B2C side, and again, I, I wouldn't say I'm a brand marketer the way I think she was a, an incredibly strong consumer brand marketer, um, was one is you need to tap into like a deep human emotional need and good marketing, good consumer marketing is reaching you in a, in a core state that feels emotional. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the word that they, that was used a lot was like uh, literally emotion. Um, and how do you tap into that emotional need and, uh, in a, in a, in a powerful way. And that can be, you know, how you celebrate friendship or, um, you know, celebrate other, other people, but, 
it, it doesn't have to, you know, feel like a, you're, you're giving somebody something that they don't need or they don't want. Um, so I think that's one. And then I, I think the, the other one is, um, the, the other term that was thrown out a lot was like, what do you want to be famous for? Mm-hmm. And I really like that. Um, uh, like, what is the one thing you want to be famous for? Um, and at Nike, it was like, everybody's an athlete. And they knew their mission. They knew their promise. They knew their purpose. They knew that every part of the marketing that Nike does is bringing out the athlete in you. And once you have a very clear articulation and, and definition of what that means, your marketing just flows. And then you can make and evaluate a brief and the creative you're putting out against a very clear definition of what you're trying to accomplish. And I think that on the, on the B2B side, I've, I've seen in the past, um, you know, when people are evaluating work or creative or, um, uh, you know, a, a piece of a, an email even, and are they like, you know, is this on brand or not? Mm-hmm. I think if you don't know what you stand for and you don't know what your brand is and you haven't really cleanly articulated what you are and what you stand for, it's hard to evaluate that work. So I think that I've, I've seen really world-class examples of, of how to do that right and, and not do it right. And um, uh, I would just like very cleanly say like, you have to know what you stand for. It has to be authentic. Totally. And, and that I, I call that identity, you know, and it's like, especially with, with um, high growth, uh, B2B startups, like, you know, the ones that really, I think, take a hold of a market, whether the market is like old or new, um, are these companies that have a really strong identity. And it's like, that's, that's it. It's what you're talking about. It's like, they know exactly what they stand for. And they just, they remind you of it at, with every single piece of marketing that they do. Uh, and it's just really clear that they have this like vector alignment inside of their company. You know, everybody knows it, right? Like, you know, I think that's part of the huge challenge for marketing orgs as you get bigger is that like, you know, the brand marketing is telling one story and sales enablement is telling a different story. And you end up with all of these, you know, everyone's kind of pushing in slightly different directions. And if you have that, you know, that really strong identity and you know exactly what you stand for, everybody gets it. Everybody goes in the same direction. So, um, yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's a great point. And, um, the application in B2C and like how, I think like even just thinking about that, you know, that brief, like how would you fill out that creative brief? Um, is helpful to kind of uh, think about how that would work. Yeah, totally. Awesome. So um, what about the skills that B2C marketers need? You know, I think one thing that uh, we don't do well in product marketing is like teaching people the skills you need to be a good product marketer because it's Mm -hmm. different than other, um, you know, sometimes it's more general. Uh, Sometimes things like positioning are a little vague, but for B2C marketers, you know, if you're hiring someone onto your team or you have a really strong B2C uh, product marketer, what's their skill set? What skills are they really good at? Yeah. So um, I've actually hired a lot of people who didn't work in product marketing because I think, you know, like you said, especially on the consumer side, it, it has just exploded. Like I remember interviewing people and recruiting people on LinkedIn, just cold messaging them three and a half years ago when I started Uber. And there were like five B2C consumer product marketers. I just couldn't <laughs> find them. Yeah. Um, um, so I ended up hiring a lot of people from performance marketing or, or brand marketing. The single biggest thing I would say that um, you would lose people in a funnel for or B2B or, or any team would be um, their, their product intuition. Hmm. And 
when I, when I mean product intuition, I, I kind of mean two things. I think one is the ability to think through the user experience end to end. And then the second one is um, articulating very clearly the trade-offs between making one product or design decision and another. So um, I think that that's a little bit of a, a, a hard thing to teach. I think that you really just have to be able to put yourself in the shoes of the user, um, understand pros and cons and articulate them. Mm -hmm. um, even if you don't always make the right decision, I think being able to identify what the inputs into that decision are is really important. And then I think the last one is, you know, if you do just have a natural um, empathy for the user pain points, um, you can get that through research, you can get that through talking to customers again and again. And that would be the that would be the single biggest piece of advice I could actually give for anybody trying to get into product marketing. Um, just like learn your customers' needs, problems, pains inside and out. And I think that I've actually seen a lot of really talented product marketers come from support functions, like mm -hmm. a customer support or service, because um, they just they just can articulate like the things that are absolutely brutal about your experience so well. <laughs> Absolutely. We have a lot of really great uh, folks on our team who came from support. And yeah, it's, it's great because they come with this built-in knowledge of the product, but more importantly, that empathy and that deep understanding of like, you know, what people are trying to achieve and what like what real people are actually like, you know, not like a persona, but like they've talked to, you know, tens or hundreds of people who have like an issue and are trying to achieve something. And that's, that's super valuable. I agree with you. Um, that's also good. I like your way to kind of test for that product marketing skill set to ask around the, um, uh, you know, trade-offs for a product or d design decision. I think that is definitely something you want in product marketers, but, um, something I've found it's hard to kind of test for. So mm -hmm. might steal that, might steal that, uh, question from you there, Mike. That's a good yeah, one. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, awesome. So what is your, what's your outlook on product marketing, B2B, B2C, whatever, uh, as a career right now, you know, you think, do you think it's a good place to be? So I, I think my overarching point is like, I'm extremely unbelievably optimistic about the future of product marketing. I'm just so optimistic and so bullish for a couple of reasons. I think one of them is, you know, brand managers 10 years ago in like a CPG company were the product marketers of today. And I've seen a lot of really talented brand marketers come into tech orgs and some have struggled and some have succeeded because you have to understand the product. There mm -hmm. is no marketing if you don't understand the product because your product is, um, is everything. You're not selling through a channel in, in the consumer world at least. You have to, you're, you're in an e-commerce business, you're selling a product. Um, so I'm just really optimistic about that. I, I, I think that um, the thing that makes product marketers so unique is you're kind of the little CMO in training is, is the way I honestly think about the role because you have to be, you have to deeply understand the business. You have to deeply understand the customer. You have to deeply understand the product. And then you also have to be able to work and lead cross-functionally. So it's not enough to just be, you know, one, uh, an email marketer or, a performance marketer, the, I think the future leaders in marketing are going to have to understand channel mixes. You're going to have to understand the user, you're going to have to understand the product insights, the business case. You're going to have to be that generalist. And I think PMMs are super well set up to, to do that. So, um, yeah, I mean, I've been in product marketing a long time. I'm, I've never been more optimistic about, I think the state of the, the function.
Yeah, absolutely. Me, me too. Those are some awesome points. Um, and I totally agree with you. The, like what you can learn uh, spending a few years in product marketing is really amazing because you get all this cross, you know, all this experience. And then you really do have to lead through, uh, you know, example and pulling people together and, and you're not teams, you're not the boss of different teams, but you've got to pull everybody together into launches and like, you know, just going through that experience, you learn so much. It really does set you up for that, uh, you know, for, for that CMO, CMO role and like the, the, the product knowledge that you also have to have today to be a good marketing leader, I think is also another really important point, right? It's like when, like you said, like, you know, all the best companies in the world right now are product driven and are really, you know, have this huge product element. And if you don't get that coming in, as a brand marketer, you're really going to struggle. So it's, it's super important. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Mike, you did an awesome AMA on Sharebird uh, that people can go and check out to, to learn even a little bit more about you. But is there anywhere uh, people want to connect with you or learn more about you? Is there anywhere people can find you? Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, uh, I wish I had something exciting to like, I wish I was writing a book. That sounds like <laughs> a good time, you know, in pandemic maybe to under shelter in place to be writing a book. But other than that, yeah, just uh, LinkedIn. Uh, maybe download the Uber Eats app, I guess. <laughs> yeah, awesome. No, it's, 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 uh, we've, we've got it. It's been great. We ordered some uh, Anna's Taqueria, I think, uh, yesterday for lunch on Uber Eats. So um, awesome. Well, thank you for coming on the show. I learned a ton. Really appreciate the time. Thanks so much, Mike. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. There's only one way to take it. And that's hard, man. There's only one way to own it. She want to drown in the city lights. Ah, but it's all.